All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today, once again, in the bunker, as always, with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? Episode 52. Is it? It's episode 52. It was 51 last week, so it's 52 this week. That's how numbers work. That seems wrong, but okay. Yeah. I'm fine. It seems like we're just on episode one, because for you, if you've listened last week, Every episode is episode one for you. Right, but right. That's why it's confused. That's why you're confused. Mm-hmm. If you were to guess, this would be episode one. Yes. We, this is the first time sitting down to do this. <laughs> uh, so what is this, you might ask? This is a Bob Dylan podcast. We listen to a random Bob Dylan song chosen by random.org every single week. And then we come back and we, we listen to it throughout the entire week. We make playlists. Uh, we share stuff online with you guys. And then we come back at the end of the week and we sit down and we record a podcast where we talk about it. And that's what we're doing this week. I have been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as a number of letters in the English alphabet. If the majuscules are distinguished from the minuscules. And this does week, it mean uppercase and lowercase? It does mean uppercase and lowercase. And this week, pretentious way to say that. Way to go! We listen to with God on our side off of 1964's "Times They Are a Changing." Oh my name, it ain't nothing. My age, it means less The country I come from Is called the Midwest I start and brought up there The laws to abide And that the land that I live in has got on its side. All right, Kelly, so we spent this week listening to With God on Our Side from Times They Are Changing. You said that you've heard the song before. Where have you heard the song before we listened to this? Do you remember the context or just sort of part of your cultural understanding of the world? Because this has been a part of a lot of documentaries and movies and stuff like that, just played as credits and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, was this in No Direction Home? It definitely was, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if that – is that I, where you no, kind I of – I mean, I feel like I – because I, I have a kind of vague memory of us watching that and maybe <laughs> We did like, a whole podcast about it. I mean, yeah. I know that happened. Yeah. But while we were watching that, being like, I know this song. Yeah. So I, You yeah, did say that just, a couple of times. So there are – I think you did for like Rolling Stone, Tamarine Man, yeah. Uh, this would be one of those. Yeah. I think one of those sort of – So I'm sure there was a – yeah, documentary. My mom's all about watching stuff about – the 60s in Vietnam. And this stuff, would be so. – and this this showed up in the Vietnam uh, Ken Burns documentary okay. multiple times. So if you ever listen to that, you're going to hear this one multiple over and over, including the instrumental and a cover version of it. So, well, how damn. It's a, big, it's a big song. Yeah, so this song was first uh, – we've had a couple of songs by Dylan's that were published before they were actually even sung. So this was published in Broadside number 27. Uh, he did the same thing with Ballad of Hollis Brown and, uh, and I believe um, – John Burt, talking John Birch Blues. Those are the two so far that he's put out in Broadside Magazine first, which is the folk magazine going around Greenwich Village in New York City. Put that out in number 27. You can actually go and see that online. Just type in Sing Out or Broadside and um, you can go read the entire thing. It's pretty That's fun. Cool. Yeah, it's got really cool artwork and stuff and we'll tweet that out so you can you can go check that out. His first live performance was the Town Hall, April 12th, 1963. We've done that a billion times at this point so we're adding another song to that to that great bootleg uh he recorded this um over the course of two days august 6 1963 
He did it in five takes. Wasn't good enough. The next day, August 7th, he came out uh, one take, and that's what is on the Times They Are Changing uh, officially. He's played this song 29 times total. Which guy, I right. swear to God. You would have expected this would be in the hundreds. Huge. Mm-hmm. So 29 times total. Um, after the 1960s and after all of this sort of everything happening. Hullabaloo. Hullabaloo. That's exactly the word that I was thinking <laughs> and I was avoiding. He um, he didn't play it. He only played it two other times. 1975 for uh, Rolling Thunder Review uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. One The day show. So only one time for the Rolling Thunder Review. Uh, and then he played it again, I think, in 19, I want to say, 82, I think Highland said. But then it showed up, I think, it's 1984 on BobDylan.com. So I'm kind of... I don't quite know which one's right, but it's only one other date in the 1980s, and I think he played it with Joan Baez. Uh, Highland references a date with Joan Baez. Peace Festival, I want to say, 1982. I don't know what that is. Um, But then BobDylan.com is something different. So I'm not quite sure with that, but two times until 1988 when the Neville Brothers released a version of the song. Um, But they introduced another verse that was not very good and because their verse was in the 1960s came the vietnam war can someone tell me what we were fighting for so many men died so many mothers cried now i ask the question was god on our side Mm. very simple but he did tell the Neville brothers that he enjoyed that verse and he proceeded to then after 1990 1988 1988 to play the song you know the 29 times are pretty much made up from 1980 88 to 1995 is the last time that he ever played it and he includes this verse that mm-hmm. 1960s verse from the neville brothers so i think when it kind of became a little bit of a hit for them he was like yeah okay there was well, an unplugged version wasn't it? uh I don't no it, with god on our side was on unplugged yeah it's that's on our playlist no no that verse no that verse was not yeah no. i was like no 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 he cut that in the germans and the russians now uh so before we get into the song itself and the historical context and all of that, let's just talk about the versions themselves. So let's just kind of like sure. boil down how we felt about them. So let's start really quick, the quickest of overviews on the official version, which would be Times They Are Changing. How do you feel about that? It's my favorite one. It is my favorite one as well. Okay, cool. So every other version is going to be in reference to this one. I just think it sounds more earnest than the other ones. It makes sense to me listening to this version that he's only done it a few times because it feels so personal. Yeah. Um, he, the the time signatures is also fucked. Like he cannot keep up the guitar with his 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 singing is consistent throughout. Yeah. And when he brings in the harmonica, we get back on track. But his strumming is all over the place, which just makes it awesome. Which yeah, absolutely. Like there's no, to me, I can, like, it's not doesn't sound calculating or point making. Like he's not trying to say something for the sake of being like I'm an activist. I'm. A, he's just singing this song like. I've kind of been brainwashed and I just figured it out and I'm really scared and I don't want to do this. And like, it doesn't come across in any of their versions like that to me. It comes across as like, I'm the voice of a generation. Winky wink. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of winks to it. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that the guitar is like a step behind. It's almost like his brain is like so committed to the words. And And then he catches up. Like he catches up because there's a lot of great moments. Like when he starts that Judas, the, the, the verse about Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, through many dark hours, I was thinking about this. He almost goes completely silent and then he'll bring himself back into it. And I love that. And, Mm -hmm. and when you've listened to the studio version, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, it almost feels like how could you do anything but that yeah. is the way to play this song, which is to completely fade out at verse seven and find your way back in and just play, you know, the way that he sings, it's like that, that 
all of his chords are just hitting the intonations of his voice. It's almost beautiful mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, there's something about that that studio recording that's perfect. And For sure. I haven't, I don't know if I've heard this, the five takes that he did on August 6th, but I would be curious to know if there was any like major difference between them. Like what was he doing before? More than likely, it was probably more like Town Hall, which was his first performance of it, and a lot more straightforward. You know, we've heard a lot of songs now from the Town Hall. The, the recording is so bright and amazing. I don't that m- building must be like a magical vortex of acoustics because it's perfect. It is perfect. Um, I thought it was way more straightforward personally. Like I, it was. there wasn't any hurriedness. He, he is screaming the words, <laughs> but well, he was into it. Like you could tell this was like. I got the song. Yeah. This is going to be really good. Um, and even the introduction, uh, you know, I, I went back and I looked at the playlist and uh, it comes right after this. At the very end, you hear someone shout, song to Woody. Yeah, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, you didn't catch that? Yeah. Um, and he's like, I got I to gotta play songs that are... I'm sorry, I only got uh, a few more, uh, at least this is, as far as I know, it's last. I got to sing something to... To tell you something. But it was, you know, he only had two more to go mm. after this was Masters of War, which had come out for free with Bob Dylan, uh, which is a classic, another great song, which we will definitely talk about in context with this one for sure. But then after that, that was it. And then the last song he played was Last Thoughts of Woody Guthrie. Mm. So that's when he busted out, you know, the poem, which if you have not listened to Woody Guthrie Month back in October of last year, yeah, yeah. head back and listen to that where we talk about that poem. So um, so this is the same show. And this was two songs before he did the poem for that, which wow. we've done. So, Wild. man, making we're building worlds here, Kelly. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. But, I felt like I could hear his little hat while he was singing it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it felt like. It felt day. really personal. Yeah, I really... I, I like that you said it was personal because, like, you wouldn't think a song about, like, the whole of America would be personal. But... It does. It it is. It's very much that. And there's a lot of eyes too. So you almost feel yeah. like you are hearing it right from him. Um, the other version we'll skip. We'll, we'll do Rolling Thunder last because I think it's very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unplugged, 1995, six. Obviously, we're working with a very different Bob Dylan at oh, this yeah. point. He does eliminate the verses. The verse on the Germans and the Russians. Why? Who knows? Uh, post war. Post uh, Cold War. Maybe he just didn't think that was appropriate or not not so much appropriate, but like it just didn't really apply. Again, we, I think we're all under the delusion that history is dead, democracy is the way forward, that all of that stuff from the past doesn't need to be part of it. I don't know if that was any calculation for Bob Dylan's part. More than likely, he was under a time crunch or he forgot the words. I don't know. Who, <laughs> who legit, he's only played it 29 times. Who legitimately knows? Yeah. And this was near the end of the time he was playing it. So maybe while he was doing it, he's like, nope, mistake, mistake. Never playing this again. And that was it. Who knows? I really like this version. It was very country. It was really cool to hear this song 40 years apart and like how different he is. This is like right about to be coronary Bob. And you can definitely tell in his voice. It's strained. I mean, you go from especially to the town hall version. This kid screaming his head off to this old guy like trying to keep up kind of. Bizarre. And uh, but yeah, I can't 100 percent for certain say that the bass was a standing bowed bass but there's definitely a beautiful sound that comes I in i have the dvd so we'll have um, to pop it out but the bass is great regardless and then the organ's beautiful yeah it's just like a, a that slide that country mm-hmm. sound that he leans on a lot but i learned to accept it accept it with pride i get down count the days 
God's on your side Now we've got weapons Of a chemical dust Rolling Thunder Now this is just a bootleg I happen to have This is from the Providence show on November 4th, 1975 Providence, Rhode Island Civic Center The Day Show We played two shows And this is from The Day Show The Night Show I went on to try to find if I could just download the day show or like just, I don't know, just any any chatter about this. Mm. And everyone, every download, every little torrent, everything I saw online, the places that I go to, to sort of look for bootlegs are all about that night show, which, which it's fine. I, maybe there's something happened on the night show that I don't know. But the day show is almost uncommented on. This is not the greatest version of this of the song. You can't hear it that great. Right. But holy shit. And the fact that he cuts a seven-minute song down to five mm-hmm. and has a 45-second harmonica solo to boot, what more do you want? What more do you want? When I started, I wasn't on board at all. It's it's jarring. It's it's like sped up and there's almost like a ska swing to it, like where the upstrokes. Um, but what if Scarlet was on it? <laughs> I mean, Scarlet <laughs> will make everything better, and that is just a fact. But what he's doing in the song, the way he's cutting that – that time down is by not letting any of the verses land because you're as the studio version is here's the verse and then we're going to strum for a while and the audience is expecting it and i'm expecting it and he moves right into the next verse yeah so he never lets it land so like they'll start cheering after like god's on your side and they're like cheer like we're going to the next one and they I can only like, respond in time because, like, yeah, there were a couple moments where the guy's like, thank God, you know? Oh, yeah. The Second World War ended. He's like, thank God. I was like, you're missing the point. <laughs> 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 we're not thanking God. We're being critical. But that's fine. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I I thought that was – at first I was pissed at that. Like, he wouldn't let it land, wouldn't let the verses land. But then I was like, that's pretty dope. He's like, fuck you. I'm going. <laughs> like, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm pushing through with I think this, this is another regret. I think the this and Unplugged are, like, sister moments where – he, in that moment, was also like, I regret this Im- immensely. Why did I do this? I'm not I playing play it for 30 I years. Don't, don't. And he's like, maybe you want to play this. Oh, I'm on live, on un- unplugged. No, no, no. Shit. No. Uh, can I just stop playing? No, I have to keep going. <laughs> going to cut two verses. We're just going to finish this now. Okay, yeah. never playing this again. Goodbye. In the, in the verse when he adds more countries to the list. It was fantastic. I, I thought it was, so was cool. great. Yeah, That's so like I, one of my favorite live moments of, of like any band is when they're like, see my city. I'm in that city. We love you. <laughs> Except this one's I learned to hate. Yeah. yeah. No, he threw Russia and China and Korea and Vietnam, Bulgaria, Cuba, South America. There's a weird moment where people started freaking out. Couldn't hear above the din. Right. So there were a couple other things that were in there.
he also uh, murdered 12 million so that was a that was a doubling of how many why not? I mean, because absolutely, they more than likely probably did. Um, I love this. I love this a lot. I just loved how confident it was. I thought it was a way more like punky version. It was. Yeah. And and also it's very much, we listened to Rolling Thunder um, episode, I want to say 28. I don't know. Sounds about right. Feels like a long time ago. Yeah. If you want to listen to that, we, we, have, we have done the, the entire bootleg series of, of the Rolling Thunder review, bootleg series volume five that you can go back and listen to, and that'll be in our show notes as well. So, Please go listen to that if you're interested in uh, us talking about that. But I think as we get more into the songs, they're going to make a lot more sense. And then, of course, there is probably, I mean, one of the most charming ones. So this one was definitely more plotting and, like, the guitar was more consistent and and restrained. So was the harmonica. And the only thing I could think was Joan needs to be able to keep up. So if you're doing this crazy all over the place shit, she can't do it. And she has an incredible voice. However, it sounded like she was yelling at me because at some points it gets really, like, intense and like she's screaming shrieking at me a little bit yeah just because she she holds those notes there's really like it's not even that they're that high tonally but powerful like she's belting that shit out that's what i'm saying she gets that voice but i think the funniest thing to listen to and what makes it almost always listenable is that she doesn't know what Bob's going to do. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple moments on here where Bob changes the words and changes the lyrics. <laughs> uh, I think with the first World War Boys, the game it was set or something like that, he just made it blind, just made it up. The first World War Boys, it closed out its fate. The reason for fighting, I never got straight. Just nothing to say about it. I did it. notice her fade out a couple times. Yeah, there's a few, and there is a few times. So I find that pretty fascinating because it's such a weird thing to have the two of them up there and just knowing what it's like. Like, it's just really kind of nasty of bob dylan does just yeah. sort of i feel like bob sound it, he's hard to hear drugs. he sounds super bored by comparison with her at high intensity kind yeah of singing and it's probably also just being shitty as well come all you young rabbles and list while i sing for love of one's land is a terrible thing it banishes fear with the speed of a flame And it makes us all part of the Patriot game So before we talk about the song itself and kind of get into American history, let's talk about where it came from. So this comes from an old Irish ballad, The Merry Month of May. And that was recorded over in 1957 by a guy named Dominic Behan, who recorded a song called The Patriot Game. Now, this he wrote the song The Patriot Game about an IRA member who was shot in an attack at the Dungannon Barracks. His name was Fergal O'Hanlon. We don't know much about the Troubles, if you've listened to our Cranberries episode. <laughs> we touch on it a bit. I thought Kelly would regale me with this but it it seems it's honestly a very isolated incident among a very vast sea of things that i don't 
I cannot wrap my head around it's so what hard to the think troubles about. Are, are, are. Because it's like hundreds of years. It's, 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 well, it goes like, on forever, but even in the fucking – from 1930s to the 1960s, like it just seems so convoluted that yeah. I can't understand what's even happening. And also it being like one of the most violent places in the world. Like what? Fucking Ireland? Ireland. Yeah. I know now it's just it – just, I mean, thankfully, it's not like that anymore. But wow. It's a weird thing. to. I would love to, like, read a book on the IRA, read a book on the Troubles. But I don't think we're the right place to go for this. But suffice to say, the Patriot game is a real thing. But it was taken from an, an old Irish folk ballad, which, amen. It's a great song. It's a great song. When Behan heard that Bob Dylan had taken this and Bob Dylan was there, he went to go confront him. So at a at a Nigel Denver show at the Troubadour in in the old Brompton Roads, Jesus Christ, he interrogated uh, another folk singer about it. When Bob Dylan suggested that my lawyers can speak to your lawyers, Behan replied, "I've got two lawyers, and that they're en- and they're at the end of my wrists." Yeah, I did. Yeah, buddy. Behan was not happy even in 1985. Bob Dylan, when Biograph came out, was not stoked about people bootlegging. It was like. Don't bootleg. Like a little PSA little guy. Don't bootleg, please. The IRA is coming after you. <laughs> and and Behan quipped to, I believe, The Guardian, maybe The Independent, I forget what it was, with, quote, Bob should know all about such piracy. Wah, wah. Boom. You're fired. Shots were You're fired. Roasted. Exactly. But in reality, guess who came to the rescue here? The Clancy brothers. Liam Clancy came out and said, yo, listen. Yeah, it's taken from the merry month of May. I think we can all agree on that. But you know what? It sounds a lot like you got that melody from Joe Strafford doing a song called The Nightingale, which was based on merry month of May. And it looks like you combine the two of those and put them together. Now, I'm not defending Bob Dylan because I think the the best thing that Behan can, can claim for himself is the sort of subject matter and the way that Dylan is sort of attacking it. But unfortunately, when you go toe-to-toe with Bob Dylan, it ain't always going to come out well for you. And that's exactly what happened. Bob, destroyer of worlds, hegemonic monster, destroyed the Patriot game. No matter how great it is on its merits, it will always be second fiddle to with God on our side. There's no way for it to not be. And that's the, that's I can understand being Dominic and saying, I am fighting the machine here. How can I possibly fight Bob Dylan? You couldn't. Sorry. So I, I think he's got more of a case, I think, than than a lot of other songs where Bob's just straight ripping from, like, old tradition, like people who can't speak for themselves because they're long dead. Mm. Um, whereas this guy, very much alive and very much mad. And uh, and I, I found that really interesting. I had no idea that there was any level of controversy. And, um, and no matter how much you invoke the folk tradition, it's still very strange that you kind of rip it off that hard. That's a hard rip. Yeah, I kept going back with this Merry Month of May thing because I was like, I want to hear it. Yeah. I want to hear it. You know what? This song's even older than the Joe Strafford thing. This is 1862. Shit. Stephen Foster, Stephen C. Foster, has the, he composed it. Whoa. In Philadelphia is where they, they uh, yeah. copyrighted the, the music for it. So you're saying it went then to England? or I don't know. But when I kept finding conflicting – it's a crazy rabbit hole thing that I went in. Oh, nice. Like, I, I it's conflicting reports. It's an Irish folk song. It's an Appalachian folk song. It's like back and forth. And it like 
people from Europe came here and we went back and we did all these things. So no one will ever know. But the dude, C. Foster, was the first one to compose it and copyright it in sheet music. That's but all I got. But he probably took it. I mean, 100% yeah, and he, he took he it. Absolutely, yeah. Of course he did. Yeah. But like, you, that How goes you back to that it? thing. This reminds me of when we did uh, Folk Singer's Choice. Yeah. And just like, you had that great Billy Bragg quote. And just like, everybody steals shit from everybody. We've been doing it since the dawn of time. It's just music, man. Can't yeah. we just like, can we just do it? Can we yeah. just do the damn thing? I mean, yes, that's a great idea of the world. But some think people should have the their music. Yeah, there's a level of the two music. of them. Like anybody can see from Dominic's side, like I'm angry. I get right. that. And I can see it from Bob's side, which is that I was doing what everyone else was doing. Including I stole it just you. like you, motherfucker. I know. And so yeah. you kind of lose your standing. And yeah. I think that's where a lot of people are like. Well, but who can say how old this song actually is? Stephen Foster be dead as hell to yeah. say, no, I stole it from some weird-ass person. Like, Which just he probably it. fucking did. Well, because – and that person stole it from someone else. Yeah. I mean it just keeps going back into time immemorial, even if that's only the 1700s, 1600s. Who knows? That's as time immemorial as we'll get because yeah. once you lose the thread, it's it's lost forever, like forever, forever. It's as lost as some child's bones from the – Mesozoic era, you know, wow. like it's gone. Children bones. Gone. Gone. You're never going to find <laughs> that kid. That kid's gone. Wow. The Patriot game deals almost exclusively with the IRA. It deals with a very particular it, – it is a newspaper song. It's a song about a very specific event. And Bob Dylan was very much in that mode. This was his second album. He later reflected on something that I think kind of strikes very importantly at who Bob Dylan was going to become. We listened to Highway 61, which some people could consider the apex of the opposite of what he's – I'm about to quote him saying. He told a journalist um, sometime after this came out about being force, – forcing songs into their own existence. He said, quote, before Another Side of Bob Dylan, which came out in 1964, same year, but it was his next album. So before Another Side, every song had to have a specific point behind it, a person, a thing. I would squeeze a shapeless concept into this artificial shape like with God on our side. This thing I wanted to say I had to jam into a very timed, rigid, stylized pattern. And when you listen back to like this album in particular against another side of Bob Dylan, I think this album's better because the songs are much more structured. They make a lot more sense. They're very good. And another side of Bob Dylan does that Buffy thing where it is some of the worst Bob Dylan output that stands the test of time, the worst Bob Dylan output. And also some of his best songs ever, Chimes of Freedom, Spanish Harlem Incident, I don't feel like it's structured, especially not – I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. The verses are following a formula for sure. I guess just the playing. The playing really – Well, I think that's his way maybe of trying to like make it different, yeah. make it stand out. But you're right. It is the polar opposite of like Bowser Galactica. The songs, they, they would have, they've always existed. They'll always exist. I just channeled them into myself yeah. when it happened. And he's like, I had a feeling I have this thing I want to say, but I have to present it to you in such a way. Whereas, like, he, after this album, was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to present it in a different way. I want to do this over here. I want to play piano. I want to sing ballads that are nine minutes long that are really mean about ex-girlfriends. I want to do that. I want to do all this over here and make bad songs. This was a song that people expected. And that, I think, gets to, that gets to my overall feeling of the song. So let's get to the overall feeling, Kelly. Oh, the history books tell it. They tell it so well. The cavalry's child 
the country was young With God on its side Let's start with the song itself. And let's go verse by verse. Because I think that's the most illustrative way to kind of do this. So starting off, I just want to say that I think something that we take for granted in this country is historiography. Not only take for granted, I think we don't think about it. We don't think about the way that we present history in this country, history and memory, the way we remember the past. I think what Bob Dylan is doing with this song was exactly what historians were doing in the 1960s by including black people, gay people, um, women into the stories of American history as they were previously told to generations from you know, the 1950s, all the way back to the founding of the country. Bob Dylan is essentially catching us up on history as we go through these sort of like, quote unquote, American ideals that were not ideals until the 1960s made them an ideal. And I think it's important for us to remember that because it's something that we shouldn't want to have taken away from us, because that's what conservatives want to do. That's what people, they want to turn back the clock, make America great again means taking women, taking gay people, taking black people out of the narrative and making the great men, the ones that are running the, the great white men, obviously, running this country left and right. That's, that is the goal of conservative history is to make it as clear cut and as ideological and as Puritan, if you will, as possible. And that's something we should we should wholeheartedly deny. And so when Bob Dylan is singing, oh, my name, it's nothing. My age, it means less. I come from the country I come from is called Midwest. I was taught and brought up here. The laws to abide in the land that I live in has God on its side. That's a manifest destiny shit. Oh, yeah. Like that's the Monroe Doctrine. That's Roosevelt speak soft and carry a big stick. That's the Wilson, you know, doctrine of of uh, humanitarian intervention. Same with George W. Bush, like. What are we teaching our kids? You know, we're teaching them that. We're teaching them we're, we bested Europe and we ran across the continent and we we did all of this. Why did we do this, Kelly? Because God was on our side. You it know? doesn't matter what my name is or who I am because we're all fed the same stuff. Yeah. And so I think what Bob Dylan does cleverly at the beginning of this is he's setting himself up as a student. He's like, I don't really – I'm not that important. I, I found that fascinating. I found the idea of American exceptionalism, something that we're talking about still at this point, he's very much talking about because he was brought up to believe that, you know, that God has a providence for this country and undergirds everything that we do. That's the whole idea behind this entire song. This whole song, to boil it down, is Bob Dylan learning about world history through war and then realizing that the next war is going to come and he is going to be called on to fight it because he's been taught his entire life to to valorize the military and what it's done and then to go and become part of that military and then to teach his own children that it was don't ask any questions about it it was good it was always good and so i think that's where the second verse comes in which is probably one of the most charged ones um oh the history books tell it they tell it so well the cavalry's charged the indians fell oh the country was young with god on our side so the country was young. We're young, Kelly. We're just learning. A lot of people on the internet find that as like some weird apologist of American. That's imper- how I took it. Yeah. Well, it, it would be if it wasn't in this song. Well, like no, it, it, it. Yeah. It's not Bob Dylan saying it. it's it's America's right. excuse for why. It yeah. Yeah. I didn't murdered. think it as yeah. the, the narrator who's having these realizations saying mm-hmm. it. it's like 
America's saying, we're young. Yeah. You know, of course, genocide. Sure, there was genocide. Yeah. Yeah. We We were young and naive. We were young and naive. What what did we know? What did we know at all? Um, If anybody's interested in this era of history, I'm going to be doing this throughout the verses. Episode 43, Sarah, not the greatest of episodes. Great episode, but not the greatest of songs. We talked about my, my, my review of TJ Styles' Custer's Trials. That's right. A life of, on the frontier of a new America. And I want to I wanna quote a little bit just about the, the Native American experience and about a lot of what Bob Dylan's talking about. TJ Styles actually wrote a great article for Literary Hub called How Do We Explain This, Nation- this National Tragedy, This Trump? He said, quote, it is an axiom of our republic. It is an axiom that our republic was founded on ideas, not ethnicity. It would be more accurate to say that it was founded on ideas in tension with ethnicity. As Anglo-Americans – and this is another quote – quote, as Anglo-Americans expanded their borders, they encountered native peoples that stood apart from the world system, though they interacted with it. So they looked for other choices. At times, they selected genocide, a preconceived policy of extermination, but they relied most on expulsion or Indian removal, quote-unquote – Often after savage warfare, it is a major preoccupation of U.S. leaders. George Washington ordered the destruction of scores of Iroquois villages in the War of Independence. Andrew Jackson and William Henry Harrison built political careers on Indian wars and expulsions. And Abraham Lincoln served in the Black Hawk War of 1832 that prevented the Sac and Foxes from returning east of the Mississippi. The United States stripped Mexico of half its territory in 1848 and struggled against the resident Navajos and Apaches in wars that lasted until Geronimo surrendered in 1886. Indian removal ended in the reservation system, a peculiar kind of imprisonment. Reservations are internment zones not for individuals, but for nations. And I recommend a couple of books on this, The Earth Shall Weep. A History of Native America by James Wilson, and of course, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, his, uh, an, Amer- an Indian History of the American West by D. Brown. Kelly Oldest, Spanish-American, war had its day. The Civil War, too, was soon laid away. And the names of the heroes I was made to memorize with guns in our hands, God on their side. We talked a lot in season one about the Civil War. Yeah. Gl- kept popping up in songs. I don't kept, know how. Kept, I know. Well, again, everything about Bob Dylan is about the Civil War. <laughs> I found this interesting just with the memorized part. Like we talked a little bit before we started here about memorization. Memorizing is not knowing. And a lot of our education system today is all about memorization. It's not actually about right. knowing, intrinsically knowing anything. So I think Bob chooses his words very wisely here by saying that he's like memorizing the names of not only Grant and the heroes, but also Lee loser first world war boys what you got on those kelly what do you know about the first world war mm, very little seeing a couple of things on the internet once or twice uh and you know going to fucking bosnia and stuff yeah it's true you've actually been around yeah uh all bosnia's yeah the serb franz ferdinand man. franz ferdinand yeah archduke's oh. nephew or something yeah mm-hmm. uh a lot of shit went down in in europe austro-hungary blew up and um people were which side are you on basically and exactly uh, then american troops got sent over the british got fucking rocked well all of them did yeah, yeah they were all in packs with one another i mean i think that's also why he says that um the reason for fighting i never got straight which is true because it's really confusing even now it's well very russia was you know aligned with you know, Austria or whatever, and France was aligned with blah. And if something happened there, then France went in. But if it happened specifically at this time, it would be the British who came in. And so then it was a British-French 
um, you know, up against the Germans and, you know, just draw that line across France. And that's just where everyone died on the Somme and, you know, Verdun and all of those are just famous for millions of people being slaughtered. Like, yeah, I mean, that's truly the legacy of the, of the 20th century. And uh, a lot of history start in 1914. I mean, it's truly the start of the 20th century. And a lot of people refer to it as the short 20th century, the 20th century being from 1914 to 1991, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union, which mm-hmm. was formed uh, in the chaos of the First World War. You know, the Germany sent Lenin to Russia to, you know, I mean, he was imprisoned, you know, he was wanted to do this to begin with, but they thought it would be strategically good for them to get Russia off their back, which it was, but they lost anyway, because that's just what happened. But you're right, then America went, but Bob Dylan's sitting there learning it, and it's like, I don't even know, but... You accept it with pride. You don't count the dead when God's on your side. Yeesh. Yeah. That's a really powerful line. It's a really powerful line. Yeah. And I think that's one of the first ones that you're just kind of like, whoa. Because it's like so blatantly people are an acceptable sacrifice. Yes. Counting numbers don't matter, especially in that war. Holy shit. What's what's one versus 100,000? Like on some level you don't even – you can't even comprehend it. I would recommend a couple books that I've read um, recently. One, To End All Wars, A Story of Loyalty and Rebellion, 1914-1918 by Adam Hothschild. And also a book that I read last year called The Vanquished, Why the First World War Failed to End by Robert Gerwath. Great books. Fantastic books. Uh, World War II. So Bob Dylan moves on to World War II. The Second World War came to an end. We forgave the Germans And then we were friends Though they murdered six million In the ovens they fried The Germans now to have God on their side I mean, We talked about the gravity of World War One. Did you feel... The weight of that, like, what did you feel like when you about heard... him pointedly being like, "Now we're friends." Well, yeah, and also just like throwing the six million in the ovens they fried. That's a that's an audacious line. I mean, it's not untrue though. No, it's not. But did you expect him to just like no? Because it out? definitely took a leap. We've been kind of speaking. We've been moving in metaphors, and we're like, now we're getting so, real. Yeah, this uh-huh. is people, people were fucking murdered. Yeah, in millions. millions Romani. Disabled people. Also queer people. We kill people. Everybody, there's so much murder, so much death. And I think the point is not really about the Germans. I think it's more of the idea of the ever-shifting alliance of God where the same people that could murder six million Jews by the stroke of a pen uh, overnight, you just instantly turn them from the villain. God was not favoring them because they were favoring obviously the allies, not the Axis. Right. Definitely. And then tomorrow you turn turn the dial a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now they're on our side too. Yeah. I think in that God has, there is, God doesn't have sides. There is no computations not working. Wait, wait, we don't know God doesn't exist. We can't go there. We can't go that far yet. Um, I I mean, I think that it's intentionally like provoking. It is. That that line specifically about people being put in ovens because holy shit. Yeah. um, And then as far as them, like. The, well, the Germans and I too have got on their side. They thought they had got on their side the whole time. They did. If you're in the Reich, you're on the Reich side, you know, yeah. like. Yeah, I see what you did there. What are you going to do? Like everything in the song, it's deeply ironic. Uh, Bob Dylan's dad uh, was told about the song and uh, he heard that the title was God on our side. 
And he said, oh, this is a song that I'll like. And he's like, no, dad, this song is sarcastic. This is a sarcastic song. You're not going to like it. In that line, in those in those two lines, it, it encapsulates exactly what power dynamics are, not only in the world at the time, but also the world today. It's like it really is just on a dime. One moment you're supporting a dictator and the next moment they're our enemy and the next moment they're our friend. North Korea right now, we're on the verge of nuclear war. Trump goes over there and talks to them and they agree. Then they're our best friend and everything's fine and we forgive all of the sins, all of the death, all of the murder, all of the concentration camps that they have. Same with us. We All we do is ever talk about how great we are, how perfect we are, but we have black sites across the across the world. We interfere in democracies far and wide. You know what will not make you feel happier? My recommendations. Black Earth, The Holocaust is History and Warning by Timothy Snyder. And also classic, but I did read it this last uh, two years ago, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, uh, History of Nazi Germany by William Shirer. From there, we go on to hate the Russians that we've been you know, hating our whole life. And uh, if the next war comes, we're going to – it's them we're going to fight to run into hide to accept it all bravely. He also um, inverts that to you never ask questions. So the official written version is and accept it all bravely with God on our side. And then he also sings you never ask questions with God on your side. The entire verse for me is incredibly, incredibly dark um, because it encapsulates all of his learning at that point. Um, and then he's expected to sort of adopt that machismo, that militarism, that you know, sort, sort of stunted masculinity of the 1950s and just like rush towards war. And obviously this is like written right at the ass end of uh, – or the ass beginning of uh, – <laughs> it's written right at the beginning of the Vietnam War. So you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that are sort of batting at what Bob Dylan is, is doing here. Also, what's really interesting is that in Chronicles, he actually notes one of one of the influences for writing this line was that his um, his grandparents actually emigrated from Russia hmm. before at the turn of the century, and like his his dad's his dad's mom and dad were his were Russian. Um, he said, "quote uh, These are the same Russians that my uncles had fought alongside only a few years earlier." Now they had become monsters who were coming to slit our throats and incinerate us. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, and that's fucked. If you're sitting there and like, that's my uncle. Like, why are the Russians like, I don't want to fight the Russians. They're just other people. Like, that's a sobering experience for somebody. And I think that's a uniquely American experience where you can look at other people around around you and say, oh, Muslims aren't bad. Look, there's a Muslim right there. Gay people aren't bad. There's a gay person right there. You know, like, oh, Catholics aren't bad. There's a Catholic guy that I know. We hang out and we play soccer together. You know, and then you've got your friend that you play foosball with and you go drinking with. And they happen to be Palestinian. Like, they are, they're Jewish. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, I think that's the beauty of America is truly understanding that, like, people are human beings. And that happens in even the most, like, staunchly red states. People oh, yeah. will have... Like an interpersonal college experience. towns everywhere, baby. Well, not even that. Like even in smaller towns, there'll be like the one, the one uh, Mexican family, the one uh, gay couple. Like the and oh, they're okay. Yeah, and they get that, but for some reason they can't take that any further. To, to the rest of them might be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like why? Because America. Because America. And that's the beauty and the. the <laughs> The underbelly of the whole thing. Uh, I would recommend with this, Lenin's Tomb, The Last Days of the Soviet Empire by David Rebnik. And then we get to sort of the crux, which would be the kind of war that Bob Dylan would be fighting in. We got weapons of chemical dust 
and if we're forced to fire them, fire them we must. One push of the button and the shot the world wide, and you never ask questions when God's on your side. Now, this is very prevalent today because we got a dumbass with his finger on the button. It's a big button, Kelly. The biggest button. Bigger than any button Huge. you've ever seen. Bigger Huge. than your button. button. What was that thing? I'm sure I've said it a million, like, referenced it a bunch of times, but I never actually looked it up, that somebody had um, posited we should put the codes or button to a nuclear missile inside of a human being, like inside oh, yeah. of a person. So yeah, that put them in their heart. Or whatever. Should you, you feel like it. it's time to press it, you have to kill, you mm-hmm. have to look that person in the eye and yeah. kill them. And I think that's so, like, it's fucked, but it's a great idea mm-hmm. because it's so easy to imagine numbers or not even think of what would happen in yeah. reality and press that button. If you want to see that happen in real life in a dream sequence, or is it, See the leftovers, season three, final season. There's a scene where Kevin is the president, and he needs to launch a nuclear attack against the entire world, and he's got to kill himself and oh. take the. It's in his heart, so he's got to cut open his heart, take it out, in order to turn that key. So, it's all metaphors for the internalness of how we feel and stuff. But it's a great idea, <laughs> practically. To think of uh, an octogenarian trying to kill somebody, it would just be humorous. And then we all don't have to die right. because some dumbass old person is like scrambling to try to find a butter knife to try to take down. <laughs> Honestly, I would put it in a very buff, strong mm. young man uh, so that uh, he could easily overpower. <laughs> yeah, and say, I don't want my heart fucking torn out because I will die if you get this key. And is it really that important? Also, make him a very likable person. Somebody that we can all identify with. Put it in The Rock. Let's put it in The Rock. Yeah. No one wants to see The Rock. Oh, my die. God. The Rock would take the fuck to... Oh, my God. The Rock... This like, is the perfect answer. Oh. Put the codes inside The Rock. Is that going to be another verse soon on this? Because <laughs> that would be amazing. I think it's also really interesting because if the song stopped here, um, you could make the case... It, it would be one of those misinterpreted songs like uh, Born in the USA or something. People don't understand, like without the kicker at the very end. I think if you're if you're ignorant, you're not gonna you're gonna say, "Oh, God is really on our side." Do you want to think anyone would think the song is like earnest? Like, I think people want it to be earnest. Yeah, but but regardless, the the kick hasn't come yet, so you're still kind of with them. You're like, "What's going on here? What's going on here?" And I think that that led me to thinking about Patriot Game in this moment because the way that that this song works is that it's very obvious that there's, like, this cynicism going on and, like, you can tell exactly where Bob Dylan's coming from. You can almost telegraph what's coming. But with Patriot Game, you don't really know, especially if you don't really know the politics involved. Right. And at the very end of it all, there's, there's the last lines are sung in two very different ways. One uh, can sing it, cowards who sold out the Patriot Game. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is Quislings who sold out the Patriot Game. Quislings are another word for collaborators, traitors. Um, think Neville Chamberlain for um, the head of the English government, you know, sort of acquiescing to, to Hitler, you know, sort of letting him invade mm-hmm. Czechoslovakia. So if you sing it both ways, one of them is like, we're cowards for not following through. And then the other is those cowards over there, right. the ones that failed it. And I think that dichotomy makes the Patriot game very interesting, like really interesting, because you can kind of read where people are coming from on a spectrum. I don't really understand the politics, so I couldn't do that. 
But just knowing that that exists, oh man, you could play with that for days. That's great. There is, it's really black and white for what it is on this song. There is not really a lot of nuance unless you want to like stop the song and pretend that the next two lines aren't coming, which uh, of course are the Judas Iscariot line. But before we get there, to recommend all that stuff from before, probably the, the thing I'd recommend the most, The Age of Extremes, A History of the World, 1914 to 1991 by Eric Hobsbawm. One of the best books ever about that period. And I'm currently reading a book called Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire, A 500-Year History by Kurt Anderson. That's fantastic. He basically posits that we are so drunk on a cocktail of our own self-delusion and our own fantasy and our own fake news and our own alternative facts. But then we get to uh, the the two uh, ending verses. One about a guy that we know well on this podcast. Judas and Jesus. And I think um, Clinton Highland makes a really funny note. That's right, funny. I said funny. Wow. In that he said that in talking about Dehan, who was so into copywriting what he had taken, like the idea, essentially. He wanted to copyright the idea of the Patriot game. Because like we said, the tune was already there. The melody was there. It was all stolen. It was the idea that he wanted. Um, Highland notes... Dylan, quote, Dylan, though, probably now wishes one could copyright an idea since he would have been entitled to a share of the untold millions earned by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber from Jesus Christ Superstar, (laughs) which is basically that question, whether Judas Iscariot had gone on his side. But I, I like it. I think it's just a really interesting idea and really hammers home the whole point of the song. And then Bob Dylan, he's leaving. He's leaving, Kelly. He's weary as hell. Uh, the confusion he's feeling, no tongue can tell. The words of my fill my head, they fall to the floor. He's like Woody Guthrie. He's wandering back again. He's leaving town. Uh, but there's also resignation. There's not really like I'm going to fight it. But then the kicker, Kelly, if God's on our side, he'll stop the next war. Mic drop. Spoiler, he doesn't. He does not. He absolutely does not. <laughs> So at the end of the about song, Vietnam at the very end, right? Like, when well, no, Vietnam was not really even at full swing. Well, I just assumed because, like, I thought him being like, "So now I'm leaving," was because I've been drafted. Oh, I guess not. Whoa. Well, no, I don't think so because he's he's leaving. He's worries as hell. The words fill my head and fall to the floor. I mean, you could say he's leaving wherever, but that's unspecified. So uh, if you see, want him to be going off it, to yeah. war, see, that's dark. That's worse. Oh my god, that's way worse. No, I think I just have him leaving town. He's just like, he's resigning, which is not good. He should be fighting, but he's just resigned to the scenario. But for me, he's just like, there's a plea out there. It's just, if God was really on our side, he would stop the next war. Well, that's, I think that's even more powerful if he's the oh, one yeah. about to go fight for these ideas. I like that. Yeah. That's true. No, and Vietnam was not that, that big of a thing at this point. Because really, it's like Cuban Missile Crisis that's like scaring everybody. And we're just, we're just starting. Vietnam is like... In the brain, our brains. We want it, but we haven't done it yet. But still, but but Vietnam would very much factor into this, especially with the way the Neville brothers sang it. And if he had sung it during the, you know, the 1960s and even 75, I'm sure. I mean, we had just ended Vietnam, so the fa- singing this at Rolling Thunder makes a lot of sense because people would be like, "Yeah, let's hope, let's hope he stops the next war," yeah. because you said that before, and then we just went through the longest war in American history until now. Um, so maybe next time, but not really. Although they wouldn't go to war for another until Iraq. So it is what it is. But I, for me, the kicker, it's obviously deeply ironic 
you know, because we know that God's not on their side. But it's also kind of dark because it's like he's going to be claimed for other people in the horizon. But also if he's not on our side and he's not on their side, then whose side are you on? God, where are you? And you can either like let that be an existential crisis or realize that it's like human beings are the ones that determine affairs on the world, man. It's not about God. It's about us. Are we going to uh, are we going to do anything about that? Or are we not? It's the same thing when people say, like, the universe has given me something. Like, the universe provided me with the things that I have. Or God has blessed me or whatever. That's bullshit. You either, you just lucked into it or you came across it or whatever. You're not really being truthful about why things are the way that they are. And I think when anybody says that God is on their side, they're just full of, full of shit. So for me, there isn't really a re-listening to of this song. Like, once you know the hook, you know the kicker, it's sort of, like, there forever. So whenever I listen back to it, I know where it's coming from. So I can see the structure. I can see where we're going. And all of that is fine and well. And you can admire it. And you can look at it. And and I, I like listening to multiple versions because you can see how he's done it over the course of time, especially with only a small sample set. There's not 2,000 like, like a Rolling Stone. There's only 29, you know, and we got to listen to five of them. And that was really great. I think this song is much more of an aspirational song. Like... This song is something, this is like a great protest song. It's like blowing in the wind. It's not something that you actually need to listen to. It's something that you just sort of internalize in your bones. And when you're there in a very dark moment and you need something to make you feel good, it's almost religious. You sit down and you sing something like this because it makes you feel a certain way. And it it's an attempt in your brain to sort of take an ideal and how you believe and put it into sort of like... You know, your psyche, that's what you do when you sit down and sing hymnals and you, you pray. You try to create reality in your own self to then continue on with the world. And I think this song, even listening to it for the dozenth, dozenth, dozenth time, the moment it starts, I'm like, if God was on our side, we just got to stop the next war. And I just knew. I, I know what the end is. So – you listen to it on a different level. But that first listen is really the, the listen that matters, is the one that you're either going to get stuck with it or you're not. Like if you didn't really listen to it the first time you ever listened to it, or or even in your case, if you heard it way back before and never really listened to it, but then heard it this time, you're either going to really remember it or you're not. It's really that, that level of connection. But I think if you ever give it your full attention, that one time is really your special moment. I don't know if there's a whole lot of songs or if you can even think of one off the top of your head that are like that, but... This is one of those songs to me that just there is not a repeat listen that will ever be as good as the first one because there's something about the song that once you know the truth and the key that unlocks it, the magic is gone a little bit. Not that the song is bad, not that the song doesn't work or that it's a classic or that it's worth playing or listening to, but the key is gone. Like that, that rapt attention that you have is is lost in the ether. Like you don't need to be rapt anymore. You just need to get, get gather your senses right there at the end to get that end and like does that make sense to, does that is, do i sound like a crazy person or is that like a no you're saying i just sense? disagree because okay. i think that it's a little telegraphed personally throughout the song the, sure so like i i think there's merit to to listening to it again i i see what you're saying like the the twist is at the end and like well but you know it's telegraphed so like once you hear the twist and then you go back and listen the telegraphing is the best part that's the structure like you can see that it's all telegraphed and you're like oh that's yeah. really great i love that yeah like you can still admire the song but i'm saying like the magic of the song is lost after the first after after listening to it all the way through and hearing how he ends it that ending i think is so powerful and so perfect and poignant 
I don't well, know. Then I like, guess for me, it's it's like it's not that special. The end isn't. It, not to say that it's not a great point, but I think the whole song cool. is is consistent throughout. So yeah. like, it's not. It wasn't that. That was the culminating moment for me. Yeah. While there is merit to that, and it, it's very punchy, it's powerful. I think the whole song yeah means that. For me. I think also I think the reason why I feel that way too is that I've this was always the way that I felt. This is my own internalization this is the way i see history this is the way i've written history this is the way that i view it and will write it very soon and yeah you're when i hear him talking about it i'm just like amen amen Mm -hmm. amen you're preaching to the and i know that like for a lot of people even people are at day and age this is a great song that you need to fucking listen to like you think you know about american history and you think you know stuff but you don't you actually fucking don't so it'd be best if you sat down and realized what machinations are out there that are putting together this entire system that we're living under. Listen to this song. Just start here. And then go and look up the Spanish-American War. Listen to the books that I've recommended. All of those will be in our show notes if you're interested in any one of them. Those are all ones that I personally read. And if you have any questions or want to talk about them, I would love to entertain those those concepts because I think that this is something very important to me personally. Reading, Kelly, is an important thing. The more you it's know. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. <laughs> Thanks, RuPaul. So now as I'm leaving, I'm a weary as hell. The confusion I feel and your tongue can tell. The words fill my head and they fall to the floor. And if God is on our side, in something in Alright, Kelly, so we are also people of the world. We also listened to other stuff and did other things. What else did you do this week? I started watching a show called Unreal. Uh, it had been recommended on a couple different podcasts that I listened to, specifically probably Throwing Shade. But it, the premise is, oh, yeah, created by, well, co-created. I can't remember the other woman's name. But none other than Buffy's own Marty Noxon. Oh, so, no, no. I do know this. It's like on a... It's on Lifetime. Lifetime, Yeah. yeah. It's like a real ass show, though. Really? On uh, on Lifetime, yeah. So it's it's a fictionalized series, but it's about The Bachelor, more or less. A, a reality, a non trademarked version yeah. of The Bachelor. Nice. And so probably better than The Bachelor. They must have either worked on these kind of shows before, or they consult people. Like, there's definitely people that have worked on that that show that they've talked to because it's about the nasty, disgusting horrible things that the producers on those shows do to get the moments out of these people that they get out of them. I mean, I've read enough of those things too. Yeah. Okay. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, And the girl, I should have made a note of all these other names, but remember Roswell back in the WB Mm -hmm. days? The the lead from that, the girl with the dark hair, not Catherine Heigl. She was the alien. And so was her brother. Who played Spoilers. Uh, Spoilers. Josh Fordham on an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but don't you forget. Um, Billy Fordham. Why did I say Josh? Everybody's name is Billy. Billy Fordham on an episode of Buffy. Everyone's anyway. name. <laughs> um, 
it's so good. It's really intriguing and it's like depraved. Like the, yeah. you can't believe these people exist that are like this. And but they totally do. Yeah, and and one thousand percent believable. Yeah. I believe every single <laughs> fictional quote unquote word that is uttered on that show absolutely happens on The Bachelor. I watched the first episode of Atlanta. Oh, how was it? Uh, very subdued. Very hmm. weird. There's an alligator in it. <laughs> Darius and uh, and Ern go just just on a little road trip, and they go hang out and meet a guy with an alligator, and cops show up because he also kid didn't kidnap, but locked into a room his girlfriend, the girl he's seeing. It's hard to really explain, but it's really. It was weird. Very hmm. subdued. Also, it's called Florida Man, and they talk a lot about Florida Man. And I guess for me, I already know who Florida Man is. So, like, hearing a show, like, weirdly do, like, who is Florida Man? You know, like, he's the guy who blew up everything. He's yeah. the, you know. It was very weird. I was like, oh, this feels like a very 2015 like thing. It to somebody? It just felt like a 2015 sort of joke. And that was kind of weird. But there was an alligator in it at the end, which was kind of great. That's and the alligator was supposed to be menacing, and then it just kind of, like, walked into a bush and, like, went to sleep. This must have been And it was fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and Ern's like, I'm out of here. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I, I, I enjoyed it. And it's, a beautiful, it's such a beautiful show. Um, recommendations for albums, an album I didn't recommend when it first came out because I've just been listening to it over the past couple weeks. I don't know if I really recommend it. Titus Andronicus, A More Productive Cough. Super weird title. I mean, last week, Soccer Mommy, not a great name for a band. A More Productive Cough. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. There's an hour-long documentary that I watched about the making of it, which made me appreciate it more. But I think when an album needs a documentary to make you appreciate it more, it's not doing its job. That being said, he's coming to Portland. I'm I'm entertaining the thought of going to see him because I've seen them live as a punk band as a whole band and it's just going to be him with a pianist playing songs and presumably other Titus Andronicus songs that were punk songs turned into sort of slower songs but they get really long even the I'm a Rolling Stone Mm-mm. you know he covered like a Rolling Stone it's so long it's like 10 <laughs> minutes long the record's like 50 minutes and it's eight songs Whoa. and there's a couple of really good ones I, I will say like uh, the song his ode to the bodega is like way too real for me who knows you the most in the world your bodega person the person we went to to go grab these beers tonight that motherfucker knows me because they know when it's 10 a.m and i'm getting up and grabbing a beer they don't know me from the internet they don't know me from shows they don't know me at all they just know me as the guy that comes at 10 o'clock sometimes in my pajamas to get a fucking beer and they're like <laughs> i'm piecing together your life in ways that no one else knows and so he wrote a That's great legit, yeah. really great song about you know the only person that really knows me is the guy down the stairs who sells me my beer you know it's fascinating ideas like that that Personally, I mean, they're they're so they're solely they're duopy. It's not that there's not drums. It's not that there's not other tennis Andronicus members sort of having these really fun backing vocals. Like that one in particular is really good. But some of them are just so long, and there's not enough entertaining. There's no bagpipes. There's no crazy solos. Like all the things that Titus did before to have you know a triple album was his last album, and it felt like a triple album, but it was also so incredibly varied. That you could really pick and choose. But with this one, it's like, it's a one-track thing. But I'm glad it exists. I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, And then finally, just the very last book reviews that I would mention, um, just for you guys to go out and 
get some books if you're interested in stuff. Um, the main one I would I, I just went through old books that I read. I went on Goodreads and just went through the last ten years of reading that I'd done. And some of these books I kind of forgot I even read. But then when I thought about them, I was like, man, these are really good, especially for the topic at hand. One is a, is a book called by Chris Hedges called War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning where he sort of looks at what is war and why do humans engage with it. Another book uh, that's a little more academic, but it's called There Goes My Everything, White Southerners in the Age of Civil Rights, 1945 to 1975 by Jason Sokol. Virgin Land, the American West as a Symbol and Myth by Henry Nash Smith, classic 1950 book, but basically taking the idea of the West and inverting it, and that's the West as in not the West Coast. Stamp from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America by Ibram Kendi, which uh, won the National Book Award last year. Um, it's a big book, but if you want to understand the intellectual underpinnings of American racism uh, from Cotton Mather to Thomas Jefferson on down, boom, that's your that's your granddaddy of them all. Um, and I think those are all available audiobooks except for Virgin Land, which I want to do the audiobook for <laughs> down the road. <laughs> So I would recommend all of those. Uh, Kelly, it's time to pick next week's song. All right, Kelly. So we're down to 479 songs. We've broken in the 479 plane. One out of 479, what you got? Mm-hmm. Two, 22. 222. How fun. 222 is a song called This Evening Soon. I'm not 100% sure what that is. That's a super clunky title. This Evening So Soon. Uh, from the bootleg series volume 10 another self-portrait so we've i think it's been a long time since we self-portraited no the number that we got is 396 so uh it looks like it's going to be i don't believe you ah. yeah well, judas yeah. say she acts like we never have met this is this, this is going to be our first episode off of another side of bob dylan you didn't say mention that we were a real podcast that's true Damn it. We have a Patreon. <laughs> David, uh, we can't see me next no. week. You have to see me right now. You have to see me at SOTWpod.com, where you can find all of our links to all of our other things, like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and Tumblr. Tumblr. SOTWpod. It's your best friend. The most important place that you can find us is at Patreon.com slash SOTWpod. There's a theme. It's SOTWpod. Go there. You can get all of our episodes. You can get extra stuff. Like, you want to ramble. What's that? Go to Patreon. You can find out. And for the month of March, you don't even have to pay to find out. You can just find out. So go. Go there. Please. And thank you. Good? Good? <laughs> <laughs>